Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty podcast. This is the AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That's Emily Van Buskirk tuning in from the beautiful Jacksonville airport. How are you doing? I am doing well, running off of no sleep after covering the last two games in two days. But um, I'm here. I'm excited. I'm ready to talk about the AAC football that I did see. Absolutely. And, you know, sleep's for the foolish. I was up far too late watching Hawaii lose to San Jose State in what was ultimately an incredibly boring game in an empty soccer stadium. So it's fine. I saw them go up 7-0 in the beginning, and I was like, oh, no, please, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it was so boring, that game. It, it was tough to get through when you're on the East Coast, dealing, you know, that time zone difference. Uh, but no, ultimately, San Jose State won. That's what everyone's here for is our late-night Hawaii talk. Uh, we've got reviews for the week three games. Uh, we're going to go in order like we always do, which means we're starting with UCF 35, Louisville 42, a game that you covered in person. Yes, it was incredible, incredible environment. I was a little skeptical going in because as we talked about in our preview podcast, you know, Scott Satterfield hasn't quite made the strides and the impression mm-hmm. on that Louisville program that you'd like to see. And and you were super down on, you know, Malik Cunningham didn't, didn't, think he was going to, which is fair because most of the Louisville media feels the same way about his play, which is very polarizing, but man, did he have a game? Yeah, he did. Uh, It goes back to an issue UCF has had for years now against running quarterbacks, which is they can't defend them very well. Uh, For a while, I kind of attributed it to the linebackers weren't fast enough. Like when Pat Jasinski was the linebacker there, he just, he was a good linebacker, but he wasn't fast enough to really be an effective spy on a quarterback. And then over time, it kind of became clear, oh, Randy Shannon just never leaves a nickel defense and doesn't just isn't a good defense to cover this type of dual threat quarterback. And, you know, it happened again last night, different defense coordinator, you know, different team, but it just felt like he had too much speed on the outside for UCF's defensive ends. In particular, Anthony Montalvo was getting uh, put into a very difficult position for what he is. You know, that's a guy who should be a defensive tackle playing defensive end. And he did not have mm-hmm. the speed to contain Cunningham for most of that first half. Uh, adjustments were made. Salisgar came in in that spot for a lot of the second half. And he was playing a lot better. Uh, the defense in general played better in the second half after adjustments were made, but still was a lot of, uh, it was a long night trying to contain him. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know if I would have ever thrown the ball if I was Satterfield in that game. It was a read option or a stretch run every single play. Yeah. I mean, it was well scripted, well coached, mm-hmm. and the environment. I'm telling you, the the 12th man, you know, stadium fans was, were incredible. It was it so loud. It was only about half full, too. Yeah, and that's the funny thing is, it was definitely not sold out. There was like 39,000, but um, it felt like a full stadium. They were very loud. That mm-hmm. you could tell they were very excited to be back 
in college football. And then, you know, my homie DJ K dog was playing fire music and that was really making a difference. You could see the players jumping around on the sideline. So yeah, it was your story about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah, no, it, it is something you don't think about at the time, the uh, stadium DJs and what type of influence they have as well, you know, along yes. with fans. So I think that is a very interesting If people are interested. Emily posted that to her. Yes, I've been working on my stadium DJ series for a while, and DJ K Dog was the first guy I ever interviewed. Um, and it's a hilarious story of how Charlie Strong found him back in the day when Charlie Strong was at Louisville. He literally found K Dog at a club. He was at a club in Louisville, heard K Dog DJing, and said, Hey, man, went up to him in the club and was like, I need you to come DJ our football games because he yeah. got the idea from Rutgers. Um, but, and, yeah, it would have been conference mates at the time. Yes. And he, so that's how he found him. And, and K-Dog said that Charlie Strong was like a social butterfly out all the time in Louisville. So I just think that's a hilarious story that you would not get from anybody, but Charlie DJ. Strong going up to clubs is insane. <laughs> but, I know, right? But that's how he found him. He literally found this guy at a club and said, you got to DJ football games. And so they've had him ever since. And the music is the best of any game, any place I've ever covered. Louisville has mm -hmm. the best music. And it really made an impact in the game because UCF was struggling. Yeah. They had a lot of penalties. There was confusion mm -hmm. when they were trying to snap the ball so yeah you know another thing game. that went to that is matt lee the starting center for ucf did miss the game so they were mm -hmm. a little bit funky at that position too so uh, that mixed with the dj and none of that helps it makes for no. a tough time getting going at times uh it also yeah. didn't help that isaiah bowser left the game pretty early and came back only briefly after he took a low hit to the looked like to his knee uh mm -hmm. he seems like he's going to be fine and but you know he really wasn't effective for the rest of the game uh giant richardson uh giant richardson came in but they lost that kind of power running game that really helped them the first couple weeks yeah uh, i thought dylan gabriel was great in this game i know some ucf fans are annoyed because he sometimes in his past has struggled against the three three five defense uh, yeah. specifically when Tulsa and Cincinnati have run it against UCF and they have this kind of knee jerk. Oh, he just can't go against the three, three, five. I know his yardage wasn't up to what it normally is. And he did check down a lot on third down, but I'd so much rather a check down on third down than forcing it into an interception. He yeah. took three touchdown passes, ran for another, caught another. I thought he was great. Uh, you know, the end of the game, the double interceptions, uh, UCF, batted the ball. I think it was Traymond Morris Brash who did and batted himself interception. Looked like they were in position to kick a long field goal to win. I don't think Gus trusts Daniel Obarski to kick those kicks. So he was trying to get mm -hmm. significantly closer, not a little bit closer like you might with the yeah. running game. So that's why they were throwing there. Uh, and it was an unfortunate bounce. It was a crossing route. I thought Gabriel threw it pretty perfectly. Uh, but the receiver was not ready for it and he put his hands up the wrong way and batted into the air and it was just a really tough bounce for UCF that cost them the game a really exciting game but a really unfortunate bounce you should I strung I strung together a video of the back-to-back yeah, -back picks on my Twitter and if anyone wants to see that I was kind of filming from midfield there and it's a pretty interesting juxtaposition of the first pick yeah. and then the pick six and how it all went down so heartbreaking Heartbreaking for ECF, and then you lose Dylan Gabriel on the last yeah. play for once. Yeah. On the stupid lateral play, uh, <laughs> so dumb. Gabriel broke his collarbone is what happened. Yep. He announced mm -hmm. that on his Instagram and Twitter accounts. Uh, well, he technically said fractured. I'm hoping that means it's less severe. He said there mm -hmm. will not be surgery, but there's no timetable for the return. 
that means he's probably going to come back this season if there's no surgery. Just collarbones are usually one to two month kind of deals. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We've not examined him, so it's not fair to speculate. On I any saw of him that. after the game, and he was in a lot of pain. They were carting him. Yeah. He, they actually drove right by me as I was walking to the post game. Yeah. I've, and I've, he he looked bad. He looked I, bad. Yeah, I saw the photo that Pat Ford posted to uh, Twitter of him leaving a sling with ice on his shoulders, and he just looked heartbroken, and it was. It was tough. So. It was unfor- it's unfortunate. I'm hoping that, like I said, I'm hoping that, I mean, collarbones are a very painful bone to break. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that it's more about the pain and less about my season's over at that point. But of course <laughs> he probably didn't have the full knowledge of what was going on at that point either. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I- I'm hoping that it's something he can bounce back from this year. Uh, but as it stands now, Mikey Keene, the true freshman, is the next guy listed on the depth chart. Joey Gatewood, we've seen take snaps as kind of a power running back. He's been with Gus at Auburn before. He was at Kentucky most recently. I kind of think we see a two quarterback system with them. Uh, but we'll see. It's next man up. You got to buy a week to get things sorted out. The Navy, so kind of two by weeks. I think that's a little mean to Navy, but it's where they're at right now. Uh, and you know, three and one out of conference is good. I know a lot of UCF fans struggle mm-hmm. with any loss after the 2017, 2018 stretch, but three and one out of conference for a team that's coming off a six and four season is good. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you lost a road game to a power five team. It's a power five team that's got some issues, but they still have a lot of talent and size and you know, just depth that UCF doesn't quite have as much of by the nature of the conference that they're in. Uh, I say three and one, I should point out, I know they're two and one. They play UConn later in the year. They're going to win that game. Don't worry about it. They're three and one out of conference is what that means. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of keeping calm. Everything's still in front of you. If you're UCF, you can still go win the conference. You do have to play Cincinnati probably without Dylan Gabriel in about a month, but you know, Mm -hmm everything's still in front of you. Your goals are still accomplishable, you know, and even if you lose to Cincinnati, you can still go to the championship game. And by which time, like I said, fractured collarbone probably will be healed. Hopefully we don't know, but hopefully. Uh, so yeah, my takeaway is that that game was very dramatic. Losing it emotionally sucks, but yeah, everything's yep. still in front of you. The biggest loss is Dylan Gabriel. Yep. All right. It was incredible for Louisville. Very excited for them. And it was a fun game to be at. So yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you got to go there. Uh, UCF fans traveled well. Next game up is Boston College 28, Temple 3. Uh, did you get a chance to watch much of this game? I know that you were in I did not. Uh, I did not. Yeah, it was It's good to see. Ugly football. It's, I mean, it's really the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, BC obviously scored 20 points. Their quarterback, I mentioned uh, in our preview episode that Phil Jerkovic uh, is out probably for the season for them. Uh, their backup dance gross self, I point out has experience was five for 13 for 34 yards. Mm. And it was that it was that bad. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds worse than it was. No, it was that bad. His passing like a hundred, nearly 200 rushing yards for BC, but like it was not an offensive performance that you'd think would equal 28 points. You'd think it would equal about 10. Um, I'm just surprised that Temple didn't get a touchdown. <laughs> like, I am too. I'm uh, really sure how that, Justin Lynch was solid again. I thought that he was uh, yeah. pretty good. Uh, what was more surprising to me was how poorly Temple ran the ball. But again, I think this is just mm-hmm. their offensive lines are not quite physical enough yet. Because BC's weakness as a team is their rush defense. The front mm-hmm. seven's weak. You know, their secondary is okay, but their rush defense is not particularly good. You know, this is a UMass team that just put up 28, should have been 35 points on BC, and you're going to let them hold you down to three. I think that's kind of 
a really it's, not just good. A, it's an upsetting offensive <laughs> showing. I do think I like what I see from Lynch, and I would even once Mathis is healthy, stick with him going forward. But you need to figure out some yeah. stuff on that offensive line. Uh, I also have a complaint about Rod Carey. Uh, in the press conference, he, oh, immediately, no. he immediately went to complain about the refs. Just, oh, you know, I just really unfair. How well, the who else called. is he going to blame at this point? I and, mean, uh, And I get it. The <laughs> calls were uneven in terms of the numbers, but you scored three points. Please don't do the thing fans do and blame the refs because I blame the refs all the time for things. I'll tell you right now, Dylan mm-hmm. Gabriel went to go make the my biggest uh, complaint yeah. I think in the game is that Temple failed to pick up a first down until 11:25 in the second quarter. Yeah, this is the I think terrible. second or third game where they take too long to to get first downs and to convert and yeah. on drive. So but for I'll me, also, it's the slow start. I'll also say this: by the end of the game, they had the same amount of first downs as Boston College throughout the game. They ran Which more plays fine. and had more time of possession, and they won the turnover battle. Like they did I mean, but that's all almost things. worse because I know you're doing, you're doing all that and you're not getting any points out of it. I know for so what there's something just not clicking about that team right now. Uh, yeah. They've got, I think Charleston Southern next week. So they should win that game because it's an FCS school. But I <laughs> yeah. think this is a school that needs to be concerned heading into conference play. And I'll also say, I have an article that went up today, uh, basically an mm-hmm. opinion piece on why AAC teams that don't have an on-campus stadium need to build one as soon as possible. Uh, I saw that, yeah. Temple's included in that. And I think if you watch this game or watch the highlights of this game, and you'll see a stadium with maybe, it looks like there's 500 people in it, and there's the Eagles, mm-hmm. lo- you know, the Eagles logo painted in the end zone in midfield. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel good about going there. It doesn't spark energy. It doesn't spark excitement if you're a recruit. Why would you want mm-hmm. to play there? I know the locker room might be cushy, but like playing an empty NFL stadium is not exciting. Playing in a full one, yeah. like what ECO and App State did in a neutral site game, that's fun. But just yeah. in an empty stadium every week, I'd so much rather a 30,000, 25,000 intimate on-campus thing. And Temple's tried for years now to get the funding going, to get the excitement for it. And they just haven't been able to. They've been stymied. But it, it, I think it's very important if this program wants to continue to grow that they get those facilities figured out. Um, uh, anyways. Tough, tough yeah, day for Temple. It was. Uh, our next game, better day for the American. We got a win here. Cincinnati 38, Indiana 24. Yeah. Uh, this was yeah. another game where Cincinnati started really, really slowly. And it looked like Ritter was uh, overwhelmed at times. And the offensive line looked weaker than Indiana for the entire first half. And then the second half came in the defense, which was great all day. They really only allowed 17 points. A fumble recovery gave Indiana like a two-yard drive for one of their scores. But yeah. know, the defense pressured and forced Penix into a lot of mistakes, which gave the uh, Cincinnati offense a chance to atone for its first half issues. But man, mm-hmm. the Bearcats cannot keep coming out this slow because they were 7-7 at the half with an FCS school. They were trailing against Indiana. You know, it's going to bite you. I know Notre Dame's got its own issues, but you can't spot Notre Dame a lead because they're still on defense, at least a dominant, dominant football team. You know, yeah. you can't do this against an SMU who can score 40 points a game if they feel like it, you know, right. you just can't spot the opponents a lead. It's like how Tulsa lived last year, spotting everyone a lead in the first quarter. And, you know, this Cincinnati team is much better than that Tulsa team, but it's just not a good way to make the playoff. If that's what you're trying to do is to always have to play from behind or not, you know, have momentum for a while. 
but at the same time, they did get done. That defense for Cincinnati is incredible. Uh, by far the best defense in the conference. I, I don't see a team necessarily beating them, but they do need to figure out the slow starts. Yeah, I saw on your Twitter that Desmond Ritter wasn't particularly playing well for especially a while. In the, especially in the first half. He had this one yeah, throw so where... That's- disconcerting he threw an interception where he was just as you know as a senior throw you should never make where he was just falling backwards kind of off his back foot and then <laughs> laid it was laid over the middle he lobbed this little ball up there and you know it got mm-hmm. drilled into an interception that led to indiana points that was that was the first quarter if i'm not mistaken it was, it was just a really slow start and also credit yeah. to the indiana crowd i've uh, I'm sure everyone knows Heather Dan. She pointed out that that was the best she'd ever seen in any other crowd. And I have to agree. I've never seen that place as full. And at one point, the student section was ripping benches out and holding them in the air. Just, it was a pretty crazy That's atmosphere. Awesome. It was definitely a crazy atmosphere. So, you know, they weathered the storm. They got the win. It was one of the two really key out of conference games for them this year. Yeah. Uh, but like, Very but lucky, though. I, I mean, yeah. if, if, Tim, if Tim Baldwin doesn't fumble that ball, Mm-hmm. on the on the two yard line that's a very different game so absolutely whether it's good defense or luck i don't know but you can't live and die by that for the rest yeah. of the year so they need to like you said come out stronger to start so absolutely and like you said though this was their first uh mm-hmm. you said in the preview uh show that this is their first true road test of the yeah. year this is their first good team that they play this year uh yeah. their offensive line is still you know, figuring out how to come over, you know, some guys who graduated like uh, Hudson who graduated last year and moved on, you know, they're still figuring those things out. And I think that was very clear in this game that they're still figuring out a lot of those details. I just want, my thing is I want Ritter, who is a fourth year starter now. I want him to stop making silly mistakes. I want him to be more consistent than he is. You know what I mean? I don't need him to, I don't need him to be like what Bryce Young is at Alabama. You don't need to be that kind of dominant player because of the way your team's built, but you do need to be a solid quarterback and you need to be a solid quarterback for 60 minutes, not just 45 minutes. Yeah. Or not, you know? Uh, so I'm sure they'll mm-hmm. get that stuff sorted out because Luke Fickle is an excellent coach and that's why he's going to be coaching USC next year. Uh, <laughs> no <yeah>. shot. <laughs> I, who knows what, what that job is going to be. It's just fun to pretend that we all know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, maybe the game of the Saturday for the conference, SMU 39, Louisiana Tech 30. I have eight written down, but I think that's incorrect off the top of my head as they were down by a little bit more. It's 39, 37. 37. Oh, you know what? That is a seven. My handwriting just tricked me because uh, it's that bad. I made a seven <laughs> look like an eight. Um, yeah, 39, 37. They won, obviously, on the last second Hail Mary, uh, which was tipped up and Reggie Roberson got it. And it was just an incredible back and forth game, incredibly fun football to watch. Uh, how much of this game is this was I told during you that your... LaTeX was going to come out. Yeah, you did. Um, you know, this was one of those mid afternoon games and it just kind of, you know, I had the Notre mm-hmm. Dame game on. I was flipping back when I could to like the Florida Alabama game because that got close. And this one kind of slipped away from me for a little bit. And I was like, you know, <laughs> I looked back and it was like, 
two minutes left and La Tech had a one point lead. I was going, what, what's going on? They kicked a long field goal. <laughs> and then immediately, uh, yeah. immediately Mordecai moved them downfield and took like a 40 yard shot into the end zone and won as time expired. And it was a just yeah. fantastic game. Fantastic. Game. Not surprising to me at all. Tanner Mordecai is the hero in all of this. And, and what a, what a perfect like summation of his season so far and who he is as oh, a yeah. player then that 33 yard touchdown pass, you know, as time expires, it's yeah. incredible. You can't script that, you know, exactly. Yeah, he had nearly 400 <laughs> yards on the day, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, Ulysses Bentley, not a ton in the uh, rushing game, but he had a great return that set up points. Uh, you know, Skip Holtz looked like he got hit by an absolute truck after the game, which, you know, <laughs> makes sense. Uh, yeah. My one concern still with SMU, and this is kind of what my concern was coming into the year man, that defense let up a lot of big plays and let up a lot of yeah. yards in the secondary. Uh, you know, Louisiana Tech had no problem throwing on them, but that's kind of what we thought SMU was going to be coming into this year, a team that wins shootouts, a team that lives and dies by big explosive plays, and that's how they mm -hmm. were against Louisiana Tech. Definitely want to clean that stuff up on the defensive side if you want to get over the hump, which has been where they're at for years now, but it was undeniably a ton of fun to watch. I thought I thought it was a fun fun fact that they were both uh, former Oklahoma quarterbacks. Um, I mean, I, I realized Mordecai, but I didn't I didn't realize that Kendall yeah. had um, mm -hmm. he's a six year grad transfer. So, but that's kind of fun to see um, go head to head in that regard. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I knew La Tech was gonna was gonna cause some problems, but so SMU is lucky to come out of that. Um, and I think they're definitely gonna take adjustments into next week uh, and look at that film for a little while, especially defensively. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and that's just like I said, that's just the danger. If you're SMUs that people mm -hmm. figure out how to attack that defense and you have to play in a shootout, I know that you can, but you don't want that to be how you live. You know what I mean? It's just dangerous mm -hmm. to exist in for a world of 45 to 42. Uh, Tulsa, yeah. yeah. Tulsa went to the horseshoe, Tulsa 20, Ohio state 41. Uh, they kept it close for a while. Wild. Yeah. Kept it close for a while. That was wild. Um, eventually a couple turnovers and just the uh, defense not really being able to stop the rushing game, you know, blew the score open a little bit. I think Ohio State technically covered, but it did not feel like a cover. Uh, I have a pretty major issue with Philip Montgomery kicking two field goals in the first half on drives. When you're in the horseshoe, you know you're going to have to score points. You know that you need to go and do something big. And settling for like a field, short, like 25-yard field goal on fourth and one feels like you're hoping not to lose and not going out there to try to upset a team. And that, to me, I hate that coaching mm -hmm. style. And I, you know, I'm, they wouldn't have won if they scored both touchdowns there. But you never know what how momentum would have shifted. I just, I hate that thought process and decision making. I'd rather stay aggressive when you're the underdog because you've got nothing to lose at all you know it's not even like a surrender field goal it's a we don't feel like we want to be here all that long field goal we're just trying to get in get out not get blown out that sucks that feeling that that's how he coached the game at the same time the players did play very very well and deserve all the credit I thought Davis Brin was very very good despite those two interceptions uh I thought the defense especially the secondary was excellent you know they held cj stroud really in check and mm -hmm. are making a lot of ohio state people question whether or not he should be the starter uh but talent wins right. out over time you know eventually ohio state was just the bigger faster stronger team and we saw that over the course of 60 minutes though so 
And that's why I don't like kicking the field goal because you want to get as many yeah. points as possible when you have those chances. Absolutely. It was crazy. You know, this was supposed to be a break for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that what Tulsa did for the conference here, you know, showing up and showing out. One note I did have freshman running back Trayvon Henderson, huge, huge like day for him. Yards. And he broke Archie Griffin's, he broke Archie Griffin's 14 year old freshman rushing record, which I thought was just like a note that, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't going very well for Ohio State at first. Yeah, he, he didn't quite get to 300, but he was pushing 300 yards rushing on the day, which is tough. Tough to deal with uh, when you got a Ryan yeah. back coming at you who can do that to you. You know, that's not, he'll be a guy to watch going forward at, you know, Ohio State. But I think for Tulsa, I don't know that that's indicative of who they are in the front seven defensively as much as who Ohio State is in their running game, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Again, I, I didn't think Tulsa stood a shot in this game coming into it. I thought I know. They and so they played, out. they played better than people thought, but they're still 0 3. So it's, Which sucks you know, they got to figure it, out. It looks like a bowl game probably isn't happening when you start 0-3 yeah. and they yeah. got Arkansas State next week who uh I thought was gonna beat Washington and I thought like 58 to 3 I thought they were gonna a, beat Washington too Washington like, who scored like 17 points on, in their first two weeks scored like 50 something on Arkansas State so which is I, that's I not surprising because Arkansas State's defense is trash but what but is Washington's surprising is, is trash. I, apparently not, though. That's the thing. But I saw them score seven. I can't believe Montana. Arkansas. <laughs> I honestly think it's the same reason that we saw uh, Stanford struggle against K State and then come out swinging in the USC game. And sometimes it just doesn't click in a certain game, but it's not indicative of who the team and the identity yeah. is. Um, I had yeah. been hearing that Washington is in turmoil internally in the program, but. They came out and did and did that game, right? So I don't know. Tulsa, they're gonna have to match up well the way Washington matched up well in in the secondary and figure out ways to to pass rush yeah. that. Because that Arkansas State team. team can throw the ball around the field when they're clicking, yeah. especially we saw they that can. against Memphis a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's hard for me to reconcile a team that scored 40, 55 points, fifty points against Memphis, and then only scores that much against Washington. That's Strange. And again, I know Washington's a good defensive team, but yeah. still, it's just a crazy, crazy turnaround trying to figure it out was. who they are. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in our preview show, trying preview. to mm-hmm. decide how they do in that game. Uh, I think in a lot of games, this next game was the weirdest that we saw, regardless of conference all mm-hmm. week. Uh, that was Mississippi State 29, Memphis 31. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun, but it was a really weird game. And that's what you get for going into the Liberty Bowl if you're the Bulldogs. And when you play at the Liberty Bowl, weird things happen. It just always is how it is. You know, last What did you think of the Mike Leach game plan? Did you did you enjoy watching that? Or I thought it was exactly what I thought would be on offense for the most part. <laughs> I mean, it is. You know, I mean, like the running game is basically check down passes to running backs. Yeah. They try to, you know, they run the same handful of route combinations that they've always run. Uh, I mean, in Memphis, their secondary didn't handle it particularly well. Yeah. Uh, you know, they gave up a lot of yards. They were trying to play bend, but don't break. They were trying to not give up those explosive plays and make Mississippi state earn it, which I don't hate as a strategy, but it means that, you know, you're going to give up a lot of yards and your offense is going to be on the bench for kind of a long time. And when you're Memphis, that's the strength of your team. Uh, with that being said, I thought Memphis, their youth looked 
uh, I think it was exposed by that SEC defense that they played because, you know, Seth Hennigan wasn't terrible, but he did struggle for the first time all, you know, all season after, you know, a game against Arkansas State that he dominated and a game against an FCS team that he dominated. It was very clear that there's a step up in talent he was playing. Um, mm-hmm. And then as a team, they barely had over 100 yards rushing, which is just so strange for Memphis, who has for years been a 300 yards as a team a game kind of program where they lean on that running game and they really couldn't. Uh, you know, yeah. a lot of their points came from situations that weren't the offense scoring. There was a, you know, the early scoop and score. Uh, then there was the punt return for a touchdown, which I do think we need to take about 20 minutes to talk about. 20 um, minutes. I don't think I have 20 minutes before my no, play. I, I, I know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I know. I'm just... <laughs> so for those who didn't see it, the best way to experience is to go look up the SEC officiating's Twitter account and read their like five mm-hmm. paragraph essay on how many parts of that call that they got wrong is this was an yeah. SEC officiated game. Mind you, uh, the away yes. team typically brings the officials. That's often how out of conference games work for those who don't know. So it was the SEC official. So don't complain about pro Memphis bias here. It was just poor officiating. But uh, everyone knows the rule that if a ball is touched by the opposing or by the kicking team on a punt, it becomes a live ball for the return team where they basically are at no risk of fumbling, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can basically pick it up and run as long as possession wasn't had by the team and the ball was down. Uh, Mississippi State 100% down that football at like the five-yard line, but the guy did it in a weird way where he had his knee down. He just sort of put his hand on top of the ball instead of fully grabbing it, and Calvin Austin scooped it away from him and then started running down the sideline. Now, at this point, it's important to point out two things. First off, the back judge absolutely blew the play dead, and they just ignored it. Uh, Second off, multiple players from Memphis' bench walked onto the field to go play uh, defense it was incredible there was like 14 guys on the field at one point uh Calvin Austin (laughs) then ran that ball back 95 yards for a touchdown that whole play was counted despite the fact it was blown dead and there's too many players on the field and despite the fact Calvin Austin wasn't the only number four on the field from Memphis on the play there's so (laughs) many reasons why that play shouldn't have counted and it did it was just this absolute blunder officiating and the SEC had a couple of these because their crew in the Penn State uh Auburn whiteout game Forced Penn State to punt down on or to punt on third down because they miscounted the downs and refused to like go back and change it. It was an incredibly bad day for SEC officiating, but this was one of yeah. the dumbest, dumbest plays I've ever seen that counted for anything good. Give Calvin Austin all the credit in the world for being aware, you know. But man, and it was a game-changing play. It was so much momentum from for Memphis, gave them a pretty secure lead. And that's before you even go back to the onside kicks Mississippi State had trouble with, which included one that got reviewed for whether or not got touched before 10 yards. And they came back with, no, it wasn't touched before 10 yards, but Mississippi State did illegal block. And man, Mike Leach was furious. But, you know, yeah. it's got a good, hard-fought win against an SEC school. And you know what? I thought it was one of the most fun games to watch that we had all weekend. It, it sounded like it. I talked to Mike McIntyre this morning and I'm, I'm going to talk to him more at length tomorrow about, you know, playing against Mike Leach again and how the game went. But he said the game was fun. The kids just kept playing and he's really proud of them. And I said, and to have the defensive score first, you know, that's such it's amazing for him as, as a defensive coordinator. And he was just super pumped on that. So I think we're definitely seeing the improvement. They're moving the needle each game, you know, defensively. And hopefully they're going to be where they need to be at by the end of it. But I think the best way to sum up this game was Mike Leach's comments in the post game where he goes, did they call the play dead? 
so he did call the play dead he just kept asking that it was like <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's true they did there was a whistle the I, yeah, it I was incredible know. it was if incredible Mike doesn't know what's going it. on nobody knows what's going on so it, it was yeah it was incredible uh i'll be interested to hear what mcintyre says to you uh tomorrow yeah. because you know that is uh i mentioned with ucf it's a young secondary that's grown mm-hmm. over the course of the season memphis is the exact same way it's a very very young defense that needs games against a team like Mississippi State who does something unique to really learn how to defend going forward. You know, there'll be a big help by having played Mike Leach before you go to play SMU because it's not the same offense, but it's a very similar air raid disciple system, you know? So it's absolutely like incredibly good chance to learn. And you know what? I complained about the arch they gave up. They gave up less than 30 points, which is in my opinion, a win, you know? Yeah. Yep. Hmm. It's good to see Memphis get that win. I'm happy about yeah, it. Absolutely. Uh, I, I agree. I think Memphis at the Liberty Bowl is a ton of fun. Definitely yeah. one of those teams that you should watch out for. Uh, I want to get out there. I'm going to try and get out to a game this year if I can. Uh, so I'll say this. I've heard, I've never been to the Liberty Bowl. I've heard terrible things about its actual like comfort and construction and the amount of random animals you'll see inside. At the same time, it's a hard place to go in and win. Memphis owns that stadium like in a very positive way. You know, their fan base is incredible out there. Uh, ECU 42, Marshall 38. Oof. I have I have no idea what ECU is as a team at this point. <laughs> I don't think they do either. That's who I need to talk to this week is Mike Houston and be like, whoa, what, what what's up, bud? What's up? Uh, I've been giving Holt Nailers a lot of uh, crap. Yes, frankly. you have. Yes, he went 30 have. for 47 for 368, two <laughs> touchdowns, plus a rushing and a receiving touchdown. He heard he the podcast and he was like, I got to put know, this in Dan's face. Yeah, Fulton Aylers, known <laughs> listener. Uh, he played very, very well, especially in that fourth quarter. Uh, Keaton Mitchell, 135 yards rushing plus a touchdown. Uh, the, you know, they were down 17 points entering the fourth quarter and just had a 21 point fourth quarter shut out Marshall in the fourth. And it was pretty stunning for the, th- for the uh, herd, how the game ended. Uh, they look, yeah. Once they lost control of that game, they looked like they had no idea how to get back. Uh, and you know, but this is kind of how I thought ECU would have to win games all season long was by outscoring opponents, by having Holton Ellis play good football and just deal with the defense's growing pains. You know, last week against South Carolina, the defense played phenomenally, but the offense couldn't get it done this week. The defense was not good in the first half to put it kind of generously, I guess, but they were very good in the fourth quarter and the offense put it together and was able to score 42 points. That's, you know, how they need to win games. And I think that this is a game I didn't expect them to win whatsoever. Uh, I don't think you did either. Right. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be a hard fought game, but it is very hard to beat Marshall at the Joan, um, especially when they have it all sold out. They have everybody going. They did the green out. And then the other thing is that they had the members of the young thundering herd in attendance at the game, which I'm not sure if people know, but the ECU game was the game that they were coming back from when the plane crashed um, at Marshall. And so members of that team from that year were actually in attendance um, and went to visit the gravesite. And it was a very special weekend in general. And usually those kind of things get Marshall going, you know, just given all yeah, the history. So absolutely. I was definitely surprised um, that they were, they were beat like that and in that fashion, but um, it sounded like it was a heck of a game to watch. So Absolutely. And like looking at ECU going forward, I came into the season expecting them to go kind of two and two out of conference. It looks like they're on pace for that because they've got an FCS game next week. Uh, forget against two though. 
Uh, but I know oh, it's an FCS game. I've got the uh, schedule. Right. You Are you talking about? Um, you're talking about um, ECU or yeah, Marshall? ECU. ECU next week. I don't. I think they have a buy. Oh no, uh, Charleston Southern. Okay, That's who so ECU's playing. I said Charleston yeah. Southern for Temple. So then, no, Temple's got Wagner. Wagner is playing. I'm, yeah, Temple. I am jumbling my FCS games. <laughs> no uh, worries. It's no big deal. Uh, but yeah. I expected ECU to go kind of two and two out of conference. I didn't think Marshall was going to be one of the two wins. I thought they were going to get either App State or South Carolina. But I think two and two is exactly where they need to be coming out of conference play and into conference play if they want to make a bowl game, which I do think should be the goal of this ECU team. And, you know, was it year three under Mike Houston now? You know, you want to take that next step and show proof of concept in the win column. Uh, it's something they struggled to do for the first two weeks, but they got it done against Marshall in a really dramatic way really happy for them. I love those ECU fans. I think that they're some of the most underappreciated fans in the conference as a whole, because they are passionate and they are, you know, they're a better fan base than a lot of the ACC schools in the conference. They're better fan base than like Wake Forest or Duke, frankly, you know what I mean? Those schools, they're not football schools. ECU is a football school and they deserve all the credit in the world uh, for who they are as a, just as a program and as a fan base, I think. Um, Yeah. Tough I one. need to move on from that game. That's yes, rough. It I'm, is. I'm I know you're a big Marshall. one of my teams. I was going to say, I know you're a yeah. big Marshall person. Um, but I like ECU too, and I love Mike Houston, so obviously I'm happy for him, but I'm very upset for Tim Cramsey and, and Marshall. So mixed yeah. emotion, next game. Florida a 17, USF 38. <laughs> um, FCS game, I don't love to spend a ton yeah. of time talking about them because I don't think there's always a ton of things to talk about after an FCS game. They you got the I mean? win. And that's, that's important. That's that's what's yeah. important. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Yes. They went to meet McLean for most of the game at quarterback. It seems like he's the guy they're yes. going, going forward. Keith uh, Ford didn't record a throw in this game, uh, which to me is odd considering that he was the starter for the first two weeks. And he's this guy you made all these graphics and this big deal about being the starter that you're kind of, first off, it was always weird to me that they were so quick to pull him, but just, it feels like, it feels like Jeff Scott wants to or has wanted to go with Timmy McLean because Timmy McLean does have the most upside, I think, of anyone on that. I told you. I told okay. you, McLean. This but, is... but it seemed like he was scared to, and he was just he really wanted the veteran guy to actually I mean, be yeah, able to compete. Most, but I just I don't most of the coaches want the, the senior guy to to be the guy. I mean, I've seen it with David Shaw time and time again. He wants the senior to be the guy, but it just it doesn't always pay out that way. And you can't be afraid to throw a freshman out there if he's ready to go. Uh, my thing is I don't know that he's ready to go because he was only like a 50% completion percentage guy against an FCS school today. And I don't believe in necessarily throwing freshmen to the wolves either. Like if you're USF, no matter who your quarterback is, your record is going to be terrible this year. That's just the reality of who they are uh, in the year 2021. They've got a lot of growing to do still. So I don't see why you necessarily go out there and have him get killed. Maybe, you know, trial by fire is one thing, but this feels like a lot of a lot of chance for his confidence to get shot, a lot of chance for there to be issues in his development. But you know, it's just a matter of your thought process on it. If you really, if you think he's going to be capable of being a four-year starter there, go for it. I think you're overthinking it, Dan. You're overthinking it. I don't think just let it happen. It's fine whatever this is what they have this is what they have to go with this is what they're going to do at the end of the day like the season is probably going to be a wash for them so just you know let the freshmen play they've got byu next it's going to be that's going to be so tough at byu too no thank you 
Yeah, that's <laughs> not going to be fun for them. Uh, our other FCS game of the week was Grambling Zero, Houston 45. I don't even want to talk about this. I'm so mad at one. Houston. I'm mad. What are you mad about? I'm listening. How do you shut them out? Like, you can't even let them just – Grambling is historic program. You can't even let them just get one touchdown. Like, you're going to shut them out like that? At least they didn't go 50. I'd be really mad then. <laughs> I'd be uh, real mad. <laughs> hey, I, you played a – you know, you play 60 minutes, I guess. Uh, the one thing I'm <laughs> concerned about is Clayton Tune left the game with an injury. Uh, Dana uh, says he's fine, but it was a leg injury, and there's been very, it, Houston's been very vague about what the actual issue was, whether it was mm-hmm. cramps or a pole or what have you. Like I so said, Dana says he's fine, but I think his mobility is going to be a little bit limited in the next couple of weeks. So I think that's something to keep an eye out for. I liked Alton McCaskill. Uh, great game 114 yards two touchdowns so you love to see the the running game getting going for houston um mm-hmm. there but i'm just i'm upset about it so i don't that's my uh, only that's my it. only good thing of the game <laughs> I, I get that you know it does happen sometimes when you get these it's sad FBS, it makes me FBS sad matchups. and you're right grambling is a yeah. great historic program so hopefully they've got a good year coming i did oh. see a video of the band at the halftime from some friends that were there and Again, A plus, totally worth the price of admission to go if you're a Grambling fan or any fan of college football. Their band is incredible, so oh, I was absolutely. able to see some clips of that. So that was cool. Oh, absolutely! The Grambling band's one of the best bands out there. Yeah. Uh, we've got one more game to talk about from this last past weekend. one. This game was not good. We'll put it that. <laughs> I way. also don't want to talk about this game. <laughs> Tulane twenty-one, Ole Miss sixty-one. That's a 40-point differential there for those of us who aren't great yep. at math. Um, yep. This game had a lightning I delay. I stayed up and watched this whole game, by the I, way. I got through about halfway through the third quarter, <laughs> if anyone cares. Um, you know, this game was in a lightning weather delay for a while. Vought Hemingway Stadium was 100% flooding throughout that stadium. That field was a mess. And mm-hmm. Tulane came out and was just physically overmatched by so slow, an, Ole Miss, so an Ole Miss team flat, that I think is a top yeah. 10 team to be frank you know because that Ole Miss team I've you know seen them play twice now I missed their FCS game sorry but that you can't convince mm-hmm. me that there's you know nine teams better than them and I think that defense is incredibly improved I don't put any of it necessarily on any individual player for Tulane sometimes you're just the slower team sometimes you're just the weaker team sometimes they're just better than you and you take your lick and it sucks and for a while, I thought they were, that Lane Kiffin was going to try to score 100 on them because they were still throwing deep well into the third quarter with Matt Corral in the game. Who Matt Corral, again, you have to consider him a Heisman favorite because he's incredible. He's cut down on the turnovers that he had an issue with last year. And man, I think that... I can't stand him. I just can't. Ever since he made that comment about Cal, he's on my shit list. He's like a mini Lane Kiffin running around there, which, by the way, why is Lane Kiffin's kid always around why is he on the sideline why is he running out with with lane well doesn't jeff brown keep at the his center after around? the game doesn't i'm jeff over brown. it no not like that though not like front and center always on camera hmm. i'm over it keep you know this isn't daycare it's, it's college football so well hey you know what it's, <laughs> it's working for all mess I'll, I'll say maybe he's got magic um <laughs> for now we'll see we'll yeah. see not like Tulane was the biggest test so <laughs> I hate to just talk about something a little more trivial, but uh, this was one of the better uniform games of the season. Second time Tulane's pulled that <laughs> off this year. Uh, 
I know you don't like Ole Miss, but those uniforms, the red with like the baby blue helmets, mm. I think they're beautiful. Yeah. And Tulane's. I love the baby uh, blue. I do like the baby blue. And Tulane's uniforms that. and that logo were remarkable. Just a little chef's kiss, you know. Just a great... I think they got too much hype during the week, though, for those helmets, and ultimately all the attention from ESPN is what steamrolled them in the game. I think the helmet hype way too much attention for a team that doesn't ever really get attention, but has been on the radar because of the hurricane. And yeah. then all of a sudden ESPN's tweeting out their uniform thing and making a big deal about it. It was oh. almost like too much for the guys to see um, before the game. And, and I talked to some of the players this morning and they said that Ole Miss was very physical and, and down and dirty and, um, and tough to play. And, and they put them on their heels almost immediately with that physicality and speed. So yeah. That type of physicality, you know, we talked about the difference from one conference to the other sometimes. The American outside of, like, Cincinnati isn't a super physical conference at all times. It's a lot, you know, it's much more comparable to the Big 12 in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's a little bit more about speed. It's a little bit more about precision. And, you know, don't get me wrong, linemen are always going to be physical with each other. But the level of physicality and what the SEC puts on an offensive and defensive line is just a world different from what the American does. Uh, yeah, and that's one of those realities. Like, I love the American. I think it compete. You know, their teams can compete across the board. At you know, depending on who you're talking about. But like, you know, sometimes it's just not the build of the conferences to be that physical. It's why I play Navy such a challenge yeah. is because they spend the whole day cup blocking you, and just the level of physicality yeah. that goes into that's just a different world of you know, yeah, just a different is. world from what you're used to. So yeah, I can definitely see that being an yeah. issue for Tulane, who you know. Again, Tulane's a school with academic standards. It's a school that really never recruits anyone above a three-star. They just don't. They don't have that mm-hmm. ability. You know? Yeah. So it is what it is. Uh, Tulane's got We'll UAB see. They get to week. go home. Yeah. Yeah. They get uh, to go back home. I mean, they haven't been home in a month, you know, and it's been tough on the guys absolutely. having to live out of this hotel that's not finished and, mm-hmm. and not wish, be in their own environment. So I, I wish they had a bye week when they went home instead of having to play a pretty good UAB team. You know what I mean? But, I think they're going to be all right. They're going to be fired up to be back at Yeoman and oh, uh, the, back that, in their own that, That's all true, definitely. <laughs> but I think I'd still like to give them a week to just, like, recuperate and, like, be back home and just get back into, like, the normal swing of life there. But, you know, you're completely right. Being at home is going to have them super excited and in good shape. Um, so yeah. I wanted to make a note of this because it just came out across the wire. Mississippi State just released a statement from their director of athletics, John Cohen. And it basically just says that he appreciates the transparency of the SEC and the admission of the officiating errors. It's extremely disappointing when student athletes are not fully in control of the game's outcome, especially when taking into consideration the time, effort, and resources put into an officiating system created to eliminate human error on the field whenever possible. The entire SEC has an expectation that the process will work as intended. Our football program's focus is now on LSU. Mm-hmm. So that was that was their statement uh, yeah, in re- regards to the SEC statement. So <laughs> Whatever. Um, I think it's silly to, to reference the human error aspect because, I mean. Because that was human f- error, officiating- yeah. <laughs> it is, but that's officiating is based on humanity. I mean, it's it's what your interpretation of the rules often and your interpretation of what something looks like is why we can't define targeting. So oh my like, god! You know, it's, yeah, it's... That, that that's a whole other conversation <laughs> about how that rule needs to be fixed. There, yeah. you know, there does need to be a targeting one, targeting two, where you do not get ejected for accidentally, you know, getting a guy high. It, you know what I mean? It just it's way too much. 
uh, ejections and the yeah. you take from. But what they're saying, every everyone believes that their conference has the worst officials. The SEC makes you know Pac twelve really does though. Pac twelve's got issues. Like I remember the ECU Tulsa game from last year, the American officials made like seven mistakes in like a minute in that game. My biggest issue though with the American is how long reviews take. Reviews take an unnecessary amount of time. Uh, and they completely ruins the flow of games along with just your standard mistakes that any conferences refs have. But again, that's a whole other conversation. Yep. I didn't mean to get a sidetrack. So conference goes six and four in week three. Better, yeah. I guess. Well, you know. Yeah, and you would have we'll liked see. to see UCF in the game that I think they were capable of winning. Uh, you would have liked to see Tulsa. Think, well, you know, I'm not going to say anything about Tulsa. I think, I think the conference did as what they're supposed to. I would like to see Tulane keep it closer. But, you know, it is about what I expected. Yeah. Uh, fun week, definitely a fun week. Uh, we are going to have. Yeah, it was more. fun. I think next week's going to be a fun week too. We've got our preview for week four coming out in a few days after this this uh so yeah it sounds like you've got a flight to catch yeah i gotta get myself back to the bay area and get ready for next week where i'm doing three games in three days and yeah. regroup enjoy, so enjoy that beautiful pac-12 football that couldn't win a game last night <laughs> hey i'm not covering any pac-12 until they start getting like they start doing what they're supposed to ucla don't even get me started i can't i can't even talk about it i'm upset Go fresno state <laughs> uh, all right well you can find me at dan underscore morrison 96 and you can find you at uh, m-o-l-m-e-m-i-l-n-e-m we'll catch you guys next time